part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Got a little bit of a bum leg this morning, so I'm going to uh, maybe sit. If I can stay seated the whole time, that will be a miracle. So uh, open your Bibles to Philippians 4. When we started this four weeks ago, we were in Philippians chapter 4. We actually looked at the verses that um, were are right after this particular passage. And uh, we're actually going back a little bit to the previous verses in chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9 this morning. We're not doing that to be confusing. We're doing that because uh, it was just the flow of the way that we were preaching this particular series. If you remember about four or five weeks ago, we started off and said, okay, because he lives, we can actually have true contentment. A true contentment. A contentment of the heart and the mind and the soul. Not just, you know, contentment is one of those elusive things, the kind of evasive things. That kind of uh, goes. You get to this level, and then all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself not content. And so you want to go up to the next level or whatever it is, whether it's material things or relationships. And yet the Bible says, you know, we saw Paul said, I've learned to be content. Not that I was born content. Not that there was a moment in time that he said, I just became content when this happened. He said, I've learned to become content no matter what situation I'm in. So we tried to absorb that and not just see that as a practical duty of Christianity, but why, what was his foundation for being able to stay there? What was, how did he establish that? And we saw that it's all established in the finished work of Christ. It wasn't Paul just saying, hey, here's how I've kind of matured myself and my understanding. He said, no, because of the resurrection of Christ, because we know that God is in full control, he's sovereign, the most dismal day and on planet Earth turns into the most glorious day for all the world. Hey, I can be content. Because I know that even if circumstances are going one way, that Christ is, is still my Savior, that God is in control, and I can really trust this. Then after that, we looked at what Christ said uh, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about worry. That was kind of convicting. There was a lot of you, if you could have seen your faces that particular day, uh, you were not a fun crowd to, to really preach to because everybody was sitting there, okay, man, this is, you know, this is one of my sins or this is one of my struggle areas because it really is for all of us. And yet, it is still predicated, you know, to be able to overcome worry and really absorb what Christ said there in his command, is still predicated on this truth of Christ and his resurrection. Had Christ not risen from the dead, guys, we would have a lot to worry about. You would have to worry about your eternal destiny. You would worry about your days. You would even have to worry about your provision. And yet, in his life, Christ said, when he was here in his ministry, he said, you know, hey, look, if... if, if if, if the Heavenly Father takes care of the birds, he takes care of the grass, he's going to take care of you. And he really put a challenge that really looked a little offensive, if you remember. He said, if, when, you don't, when you worry, <laughs> you're not trusting God in these areas. He said, you're acting like a Gentile. And really, the translation there was an unbeliever. You're acting as if there's no God. So again, we see a very practical thing in our life, don't worry, built upon a theological truth. Then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at, or last week, we looked at hope. How we all need hope in our life. Hope is one of those things that's gas in, the, in our tank that kind of gets us out of bed and we hope. But there's two different kinds of hope in the world. There's that kind of hope like, I hope things get better tomorrow. Or, hey, we have a party today. I hope it stops raining and the sun comes out. There's that kind of hope that's wishful thinking. 
And then there was biblical hope. The hope that we found in the scripture. It says, okay, because Christ has done this, here is a real hope that you have for your life. Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we look at this last one of, of peace. We're going to look really kind of uh, look at two different forms of peace. And I hope that we're really honest in our evaluation of which peace are you more striving for that you're looking for. Um, because, you know, we sing a song like that last one. How many of you uh, remember that song? That's kind of an old song. How many of y'all grew up singing that song? You know, it's kind of one of those songs that, you know, you kind of dust off a little bit every once in a while. And you're going, man, that's just a good old song. And, Ricky, I really appreciate you doing that. But how many of you have some emotions when you hear that and you're singing that? There's, there's emotions that come out, you know, kind of uh, good emotions, affirming emotions. Okay. Here's the thing, guys. Here, here's the whole premise of this series. Those emotions are good things, a confidence, a, a, a joy, even a peace that we'll talk about today. But it's predicated upon what? That because he lives. See, that's the whole thing. That's the whole purpose. This is, okay, here's your duty. Go out there and be happy. Okay, go have peace. Now, what we're looking at is that we didn't want to leave Easter just on Easter Day. And we said, okay, because he lives, because of this resurrection, here's the transforming power of that resurrected life. And now, whether it's contentment, worry, whether it's hope, or whether it's peace, I can have a reality of this in my life, not because I live in a peaceful situation, but because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Not that there's not fearful things in our life. Christianity is not a call to utopia, guys, to where all of a sudden everything just goes right. And that's one of the things that we see in the Scripture today, that Paul in the New Testament, Christ never gives us this picture of Christianity as being a life where everything is satisfied, where there's not things in, in one way to worry about. Certainly there's undue situations in the world, but that we have a confidence in what Christ has accomplished. Here's my mini sermon, and then we'll get into the major sermon. I mean, really grasp this. Try to grasp this as much as you can this morning. We've said it before. We are very content if we place our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and we believe that for our salvation. We're very content to say, hey, if I died right now, I'm going to heaven. I know without a doubt that I'm going to heaven. Not based on my works, my goodness, but because of what Christ has done. And I've put my whole trust and faith in that. And so it's one of those things, this big picture of heaven, we trust God implicitly for that. And yet, contentment, worry, hope, we kind of come back down to a very earthly view of those things sometimes. The air conditioner blows out. The transmission blows out. The kids blow out. You know, all kinds of different things. This happens in our lives. And all of a sudden it's like, man, this is enough to unnerve us to where we're not content, we're worried, we, we hope things are going to get better, but there's no sign of hope here, and we lack peace. Why? Because all of a sudden the circumstances in our lives did not dictate those things. But our eyes were on the circumstances and not on Christ. In one way, that seems so simplistic, but are we really living that out? The Apostle Paul gets to a place in his life where he's living it out. We'll see that again in Philippians 4. And, and yet I, I take a little bit of encouragement in my own life that Paul says this basically almost on his deathbed. You know, he, he knows that he's awaiting uh, some kind of an execution, probably a beheading. 
and he knows that it's coming. And so he says that, I've learned to become these things. In other words, he says, okay, I'm finishing the race a lot stronger than I ran the race. And I don't know about you, maybe I'm just looking for hope there in my own life, in my own maturity, in my own sanctification, but that gives me hope because I know I'm not there yet. And yet that's what we've said in 2017, that we want to run this race more and more to be conformed to the image of Christ, that we're focusing on maturing as our, in our Christian walk. And hopefully it will mature more and more, but maybe we want to be in that accomplished place to where we can say with all assurance until those final days, you know, I have learned to become content no matter what. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. We're going to look at that uh, uh, again. These are emotions. These are actions. These are realities based upon truth. Anybody ever hear of a snake oil salesman? Back in the turn of the century, there, there was all kinds of guys, whether it was the Wild West or whether it was, uh, you know, when advertisements started getting in print and the, the famous snake oil or whatever elixir that there was. And people would come because they had trouble in their life. And because they had trouble in their life and they had things that, you know, regular doctors or somebody else couldn't cure, they were looking for something that could bring a cure to that bum knee or that broken heart or whatever it was. Well, that would just made it fine and dandy for these guys to go out with the, the, the covered wagon and, you know, bottles and bottles of something of who knows what it was. Uh, most of the time it really was mixed with a high content of alcohol. So it's not so much that your problems have went away, but you just didn't care. You know, it was one of those things that it was one of those situations where, okay, I feel better. <laughs> well, I wonder, it's 20 proof or 50 proof. Yeah, no wonder you feel a little bit better for the temporary. Well, I want you to know this morning, I realize that most of us are believers. We're walking with Christ or at least attempting that. We place our trust in this gospel that we read. And yet, I realize that there's always going to be somebody in the crowd, somebody that's joining us, that somebody's here that they say, you know, you know, Bobby, I've tried Christ. I've tried religion. I've, I've tried to be more spiritual. And if you were honest, you'd say, you know, sometimes it does come off as almost like a spiritual snake oil. But I hear you say these things, these proclamations of peace and, and hope, and, and, and I read my Bible more, or maybe I, I, I pray more, or I come to church more, and yet I still find myself worrying. I still find myself in hopeless situations. It feels like my life is falling apart rather than coming together. As I want to promise you this morning that uh, this is not snake oil. Christ did not come and make you a promise that everything was going to get better because there's some elixir, even some spiritual duty that you can go out and do that all of a sudden your life's just going to come together. And what he promised was because he lives, we can face tomorrow. He did promise to, because he lives that fear can be gone. We don't have to worry about the unknown. The resurrection, guys, was the game changer. It's the game changer of all of history. All of history, even biblical history, Genesis to Revelation, all centers on that event. Not just the coming of Christ, but the resurrection of Christ. The coming of Christ, he would have been a good man. Had he not risen from the dead, he'd been a good man that was really a good moral teacher, did a lot of great things, even miraculous things. And yet, without the resurrection of the dead, we do not have a Savior, and we have no hope, and we have no peace. 
The resurrection is a game changer. Why? Because it shows God's power, his sovereignty, that is his plan, and his love and his purpose. And it's with that that Paul could write these words. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It takes a while to absorb that. We've read it before. It's probably a very familiar passage to many. And yet, we could preach this one, uh, this couple verses for, for weeks to come and not unearth all the truth and all the gravity that is there. But here's a, a question I have for you, and it is actually somewhat of a tough question this morning. Do you want peace in your life that is based on your own ability to understand? Or do you want peace in your life that surpasses all understanding? I mean, mean, we can be very spiritual and say, well, the Bible says surpasses all understanding, so let's go with B there, Bobby. (laughs) Let's go with B because obviously that's what God said, So, and that's what Paul said, so it must be the truth. But, But in reality, guys, really answer that question as much as you can in your mind this morning. The peace that you're seeking, because who doesn't want peace? Is it going to be based on the things of your understanding? In other words, if you don't have peace because of finances, is the peace based on, okay, all of a sudden, I inherited $50,000, and it's going to take care of my financial you know, needs. Or it's a broken relationship, and is your peace going to be based upon, all of a sudden, that relationship you know, coming back together, Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright or whatever it might be, or broken relationship with children, and all of a sudden there's going to be a reestablishment of that. Do you understand the question? Because the statement that Paul makes here is that you're going to have God's peace, and then he defines God's peace, and he says it's really beyond understanding. He's not trying to say, hey, you're just (laughs) incapable of handling this on an intellectual level. He says, no, God has a bigger picture than you could ever imagine. So there's going to be a lot of things that God allows to stay in your life that you really want eradicated, you want gone. And if it was gone, you would say, man, I'm at peace now. I have peace of mind, peace of heart, peace of soul. It's a tough question because if we honestly answer it, I think most of us would say, you know, as much as I know that the answer is B, I'm kind of living out A. A has my daily attention. I'm just looking for some of these things to, you know, these things that are upside down to be turned right side up. These things that are broken to be put back together. And that's really, if we're honest, and yet the resurrection doesn't point us to that. See, it would be spiritual snake oil, guys. And I would be nothing more than a purveyor of spiritual snake oil if I said, you come to Christ and your problems are going to go away. That would be the biggest lie that I could ever give to you. And I pray that I will never fall into the trap to be satisfying to a people or to a group and and preach something that is not the gospel hope. Even though I would be one of the ones that would want to hear that in my life. Believe me, there's... I have seen some who are so disparate in their hurt, in their brokenness, 
that they're willing to try Jesus like they're willing to try a medicine. And I'll come to church every Sunday. I'll, I'll even come over there and, and, and do that. I'll, I'll do this at church. And, and, and they try Jesus like a medicine. Take two times and call me in the morning kind of thing. Okay, I'm going to try Jesus. And after they try Jesus for about a week or two or a month or two or a year or two, and their life still has this predicament, this hard place in their life, it's like, oh, I tried all that Jesus stuff, and it just didn't work for me. I have talked to so many people in life like that. Now, what they tried was a religious activity. They really didn't try Jesus. Folks, the resurrection is not a religious activity. The resurrection is either life <laughs> to you, or, or the rejection of that is, is death to us. It's either going to be hope or peace, or contentment, or it's going to be that we're going to be longing and longing for more. You can't just take a dose of Jesus and the pain and the trouble just suddenly disappear. I'm not saying that Christ can't immediately fix a marriage. I can't, I'm not saying that he doesn't bring even physical healing to us. He can do that. But for whatever reason, he doesn't always do that. And so, you know, I'll never forget after my dad passed, my mom, a very, very devout Catholic lady, she loves Christ well. And she had been going to Mass and saying Masses for my dad and getting others to pray. And I'll never forget, after Dad passed, she goes, I guess I didn't pray enough. And I felt so heartbroken for her. And it's your mom and you respect and all that. And I wanted to say, Mom... This is not our God that you were at 999 and one more prayer. Dad be with us. That's not how it works, guys. It's not religion. It's not religious activity. It's not even spiritual activity. It's just what Christ has finished and done, and that's where we rest in that. doesn't mean that heartbreak doesn't come. I prayed for my dad to be well. You hear one story of somebody has the same exact cancer and they're still alive, you know, today, five years later, ten years later, and, and my dad isn't. And so, you know, if, if it all predicates on, if peace predicates on all these things coming together, then really, God has a lot of explaining to do. But that's not the promise that he's made, guys. It's not the promise that he's made. The promise that he's made is, okay, you want real life, you want full life. You put all your faith and trust in what has already been accomplished. And I will give you hope and peace. Not being trying, trying to be critical to us that are, you know, that struggle with that. Just being, trying to be real. And, and in fact, it's one of those things that even Christ, he, he was very critical of the Pharisees when they tried just religious or spiritual activity to, to, to make much and earn their way to God, he was very, very critical of them. But, but to the common people, when he saw that that's what they were attempting to do, and, and yet they were not fulfilled, it, it actually brought him to tears. One of the most meaningful times that we see him actually broken into tears is uh, what we usually think of of Palm Sunday. And that time that Christ, he knows he's going to go to the cross, he's already told, you know, Everybody, they're still not kind of absorbing that. And um, he sends out for the donkey. They go get the donkey. 
uh, or the cult, and they bring him back. He's coming in. And remember the reaction of the people on Palm Sunday? There's one of celebration. They cry out to him that he's the king and that he's Lord. I mean, they, they got the right proclamation, and yet their premise was, okay, you come in, take over the government, get rid of these Romans, and then life is going to be great. Change our circumstances, and we'll have peace. Look up on the screen, Luke 19, 41, 42. Here's what Christ said as he's coming into Jerusalem that day. Okay, this is on his way to the cross, guys. This is the you know this is a week before. This is Palm Sunday. This is he, he's but he's, he's starting the Passion Week. And and look at what Christ says. And when he drew his drew near, that is Christ, uh, drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Now look what he said. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. He's coming in, he's writing in, he's going to be acclaimed, he's going to be, they're going to shout out, you are Lord, you are King. And yet he's crying and he's weeping because he's there. And I've stood in that place where you can actually look over Jerusalem. It's really cool if they're in the Mount of Olives and you start to come down the, the road there, that Christ, we know that he took that road, so you're, you're kind of standing right where Christ would have been because it's an ancient road. They haven't changed it in these 2,000 years. And, and he looks over the city and he cries. And why does he cry? Because he sees that they're desperate for peace. And yet he said, but you, you don't really, you're grasping at things that are not going to bring you peace. This is not, in a way it's a judgment, but do you see it as this harsh king? Ha! You know, if you really knew what you had for peace, yet you've rejected me and so I reject you. This is not the attitude of Christ. He is weeping over Jerusalem. He is brokenhearted because he sees the people so desperate for peace and yet they're grasping for peace in the wrong places. I believe if he was here in our community, if he was here in our midst, maybe in our own home, there'd be a weeping. He said, I see your desperate need for peace. I acknowledge your need for peace. I just, I hurt because what would you, even you, had known this day what things make for peace. You'd only know what makes for peace. So he presents for us that are reading this 2,000 years later a question, and that is what makes for peace? Here we are 2,000 years later, and he uses this phrase, and so I ask you this morning, what makes for peace? And I'm going to present to you two different things this morning. And as you have these two different things, I want you to do ask two questions. Does this line up with Scripture? Number two, get personal. Does this line up to where I'm looking for peace? Okay. First, and let me go ahead and give you both answers, and then we'll discover both of those. We'll flesh them out. Peace found in the absence of something or peace in the presence of something. That's kind of the two choices. You see which ones. Which one lines up biblically, scripturally? Which one are you activating in your life? First one, peace that is the absence of something. Uh, we think of peace as the absence of conflict, for example. It's going to be the absence of conflict. Uh, conflict or peace in the Bible, I mean in the dictionary, 
is actually described as the non-warring condition of a nation, group of nations, or the world. It describes peace in a dictionary sense. Okay, when you're not at war, when there's no conflict. Now, would you agree that no conflict would equal, on some human level, peace? And would you agree also that on, on some level that you would life, like life without conflict? No. So, so these, you know, understand that this is not a judgment against us. But what we begin to see is that a life without conflict is really not going to happen here uh, on planet Earth. An interesting study was done years and years ago. Uh, the Norwegian Academy of Sciences. So you know it's real. I mean, you, you put Norwegian Academy of Sciences, and this was a real survey. This isn't just calling up 20 people. But they, they, they looked, and they um, looked at back 3,600 years. Or, and I'm sorry, going back 3,600 years B.C. And uh, they looked over that period of, of 5,600, 5,700 years, and they found that in all that, in human history, as far as they could tell from written history, and recorded history, that there was only 292 years where there wasn't a known conflict among peoples in life. So you got 5,600, 5,700 years. They look back and they go, okay, at least, you know, these people were fighting these people over here in this place, and that's just recorded history, you know. There was probably other things going on that wasn't recorded history that they didn't keep track of that. Now, think about it, guys. 292 divided by 5,600, our percentage of 5,600. That's probably our chances of living a conflict-free life, okay? Whatever that percent is, if you're a math student out there, you can give me that percentage later. I didn't figure it out. But it's one of those things. 56, 5,700 years, 292 of those years, conflict-free as far as they knew. That's a really small number. My point being, guys, yes, we think of peace as the absence of something, the absence of conflict, and yet the reality of that, it just doesn't happen in real life. And here's the danger of it. No one would disagree with that the absence of conflict would equate some measure of peace. The problem is where do you find that? And so here's the natural human reaction. For me to find peace, I need to escape. I need to escape the marriage. I need to escape this job. I need to escape, escape this life. Do you understand that? Are you tracking with me on that? That one of the things that we can conclude from a human level, not from a spiritual level, and do not think that this is biblical, but one of the things that we can do then is withdraw and escapism. But okay, I mean, that's why people sometimes get hooked on different kinds of... Uh, Drinks and drugs and different things. I'm going to escape into a place that my world is all convoluted here. It's full of conflict. But at least in my closet, if I've got my fifth of bourbon, you know, hey, I'm okay. It's escapism. It's withdrawal. It's not healthy. And it's not biblical. God's answer to conflict in our lives is not to withdraw or to escape, even though that would be the natural human reaction. To go back to what Jesus was saying, you know, or, or what he was facing there, they were thinking, okay, if we can escape the Romans, if we can kind of withdraw, if we can get them to leave, then we'll have a place of peace. And Jesus, when he said that, not only was 
to keep that verse in proper context, so he wasn't just talking about their current situation, but he was already looking at the fall of Jerusalem that was going to come in AD 70, and he knew that millions of Jews would die. And so he's weeping. Because, guys, you're grasping for this peace as maybe this release of conflict in your life, and yet that's not where you're going to find it. But there's a second thing. Peace that is the absence of chaos. Now, a lot of chaos we've actually invited into our lives. We're busy people. We have loaded ourselves down. And there is a beauty to a simple life. There's, there's a beauty to a life living in simplicity. And sometimes we've attempted to do that. And our attempt is to have that simplicity is the attempt is to not have chaos in our lives, to try to eliminate chaos. And so if we get rid of this, if we get rid of that, we get rid of that. It's still that form of escapism and withdrawal. I'm not saying that there's not good, some good wisdom. I think a simple life is probably a better than life than complicated life. And yet even in a simple life, would you say that there is going to be chaos? And thank goodness for Allstate Insurance to remind us of that. Driving down the road, fooling with the radio, and there's chaos. I love those commercials. As a marketing major, management major back in college, I love. I think they really do a great job of, of this chaos popping up all over the place. They come out, and there's a tree on their car. They come out to this place, and there's chaos. And chaos is not invited in, but does he come in? In your life, do you invite chaos? Sometimes we can say that we do that by our busyness. But even when you try not to have the chaotic life, does chaos find its way into your life? Have you ever wondered why? That chaos would come without invitation? Let me show you another slide, and I'll give you the theological point of it. Go to that next slide. Uh, That is Mr. Chaos in the Garden of Eden with the serpent and with the fruit, okay? It it goes back to Genesis 2 and 3, what I tell you all the time, guys. We did not have chaos in the world until the fall. And the minute that man became dependent on his own intellect, his own decision, his own independence from holy God, and rejected that and went his own way, then chaos comes in. And it has remained since, and it will remain. It will remain until the day that you and I cross that river, as we said this morning. No more crying, no more pain. Oh, because there's just the sweet little place of the no. Because the resurrection of Christ will be fully known at that point. Sin will be fully eliminated from God's presence in heaven, and we won't be in a place of chaos anymore. God's perfect order. But until then, guys, because of that, (laughs) your life and my life is going to be filled with chaos. Third thing, sometimes we think that peace is the lack of crisis. Conflict, chaos, crisis. How many of y'all have had crisis in your life in the last month? Just raise your hand. You know, it wasn't just the conflict. It wasn't just, oh, I wish, you know, I wanted the Falcons to win, not the Patriots, you know. 
well, I don't know, that's borderline crisis. <laughs> Depending on how much of a Falcons fan you are. But, you know, I'm not talking about things like that that just kind of come and go. I'm talking about real crisis in your life. Most of us could raise our hand that, hey, in the last month there's been crisis. And if we go back six months to a year, we can say, hey, man, there was real crisis. In other words, trying to eliminate chaos, trying to eliminate conflict, and trying to eliminate these things, guys, it seems impossible. And really, the Bible would say that it is impossible. There's always going to be perhaps a financial crisis, a health crisis. I mean, we don't go looking for a health crisis. They come looking for us. Living one way one day, and then all of a sudden something happens, and drastic, our life forever changed because of a financial crisis, a relationship crisis, a health crisis. The answer is not the absence of something. The answer is the presence of something. Look again at Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He mentions prayer. Masses, uh, that this is going to create a peace that surpasses understanding and that it will guard our hearts and our minds. What you see there, is that the absence of something or the presence of something? You can, you can say that loud. It's the presence of something. It's Paul says, okay, you want this kind of peace? You want the peace of God? He said, it's not the absence of conflict and chaos and all these things that can grow. He said, no, it's actually the presence of God. And when you pray, you actually are kind of, you know, in tune with the presence of God. When you're doing, you know, when you come and, and you uh, uh, draw close to God, and he's going to do things that it surpasses understanding. That was our original question. Do you want a peace that really matches your understanding? That is, you can figure it out. Or do you really, would you be satisfied with a peace that surpasses understanding? In other words, there's still chaos, there's still conflict, there's still all this stuff going on in your life, and yet you go, you know, it is well with my soul. I don't like my circumstances, but it is well with my soul. Why? Because he lives. Because he lives. And because of his resurrection and my belief and my my faith firmly planted in that, I can face tomorrow. All fear is gone. I really don't have to worry. Now, does that sound superhuman to you? In a way, it does. But that's what maturity, Christian maturity, should look like more and more and more and more. If you're young in Christ, you're probably not there yet. If you've been walking with Christ for a long time, you should be farther along than when you began. It truly... Folks, that's what we're looking at in 2017. This maturing walk, more and more conformed to the image of Christ, more and more thinking like Christ, that real transformation is taking place in our life. Not just, well, you know, I never used to go to church, and now I go to church all the time. Didn't know a single song, now I know like five or six songs that they sing. Never used to pray, now I pray every time I say, you know, I eat my food. I think those aren't good things. Please come to church. Please enjoy the songs. And please, you know, bless the food before you eat. I mean, those are good things. But that is not the measure in the New Testament of what a changed life in Christ looked like. 
they got very practical. Paul says, man, here, here's the change. I didn't used to have peace, but now I've got peace. But it surpasses my understanding. He's writing from jail. He's waiting for his head to be cut off. What part of chaos and conflict is, is you know, being eliminated in his life? And yet he says, not heroically, not heroically. He look at me, Paul. I can say, throw your best shot at me and I can still have peace. No, he says, man, I've run to the cross into an empty grave and here is my hope. This is not your heroic measures. This is your desperate run to the cross. And, and to quote another old hymn, I need thee every hour I need thee. And it's that constant plea on that, God, I need you. As much as I want the absence of something, what I need is the presence of something, and it's the very thing that Christ promised. We'll end with this, John 14, the words of Christ. Verse 25 through 27. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. Now remember, he's going to the cross. This is near the end of the ministry. Christ. If you have a Bible that has red letter edition, the words of Christ, this is in red. These are the words of our Savior. This is his promise that has been made yes and amen through his death and resurrection. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you, do I give to you. Let, heart, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He says this in, in the next several days. Did God eliminate conflict from Jesus' life? <laughs> it intensified unlike you and I would ever know. Did God eliminate chaos from his life? No. You got Peter doing this, you got Judas doing that. There's chaos everywhere. Did he eliminate crisis from Jesus' life? No, I think we'd be safe to say that the world's most biggest crisis, deepest crisis, however you want to describe it, happened in those coming days. That God's Son would go to the cross and take our sins, be buried in a grave to die and yet three days later we have a resurrection and so this promise that he makes before his death now is proven by his resurrection and because he lives we can take this to heart this morning are you looking for peace from the absence I mean be honest with yourself you don't have to tell me Honestly, ask yourself this question. Am I really looking for peace that is the absence of chaos and conflict and all these bad things? Or am I looking for peace in the presence of Christ, a peace that surpasses understanding because it just doesn't make sense? I said, I need a peace that doesn't make sense. I know what I want is the elimination of these things. But that's just not going to happen. We're in a broken world and we're broken people. So what my real need is to have a peace that goes far beyond my circumstances, a 
peace that surpasses my level of understanding. It's not the absence of these problems. It's the presence of this gift of God through Christ. We're going to end with another. You know, we've been doing a lot of old hymns here lately because they stood the test of time. And they're good. They're familiar to us. And and so we can sing them and they bring back some really good memories. But they also speak of biblical truth. We're going to end today with uh, the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Many of you probably know the the story behind that. It's it's just a very uh, heart-wrenching story. The guy's a lawyer in Chicago. He's got a wife and four daughters. And and uh, they're going to Europe. He's supposed to be on that same ship. He's not able to make it because of some things that happened there in his workplace. He stays behind. Wife and four daughters get on that ship. They're going across. The ship has a wreck. And uh, the four daughters perish along with a lot of other people. The wife survives. She sends sends back, uh, I I said earlier when I was talking to the praise band, a text. It wasn't a text. It was a wire. um, And that day, and and says, uh, saved alone. What do I do? He gets on the boat. He, he starts to cross, and then he says, well, you, you kind of show me when we get close, the approximate place where my daughter's perished. Uh, the captain is kind enough. He comes to get Horatio Spafford, and, and says, this is about the place. And he writes the song there, guys. Chaos, conflict, crisis, bigger than life. And yet he writes these words. So today, this song of reflection, it's not just an emotional thing. It's built on something, guys. It's built on truth. And we can make that proclamation. God, as much as I want the absence of these things, what I need is the presence of you. Because then I can say with all assurance that it is well with my soul. It may not be well with my mind or heart, but that's where you said you would guard those in the things of Christ Jesus. You would have this peace that guards my heart and mind. When all of a sudden at 2 o'clock in the morning, my mind starts to wander there or my heart starts to wander here. That you have a peace for me in your presence by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the resurrection that even in those most trying of times, you've guarded my heart and you've guarded my mind and I can truly say it as well with my soul. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, we confess that oftentimes we see solution as the absence of the bad things rather than the presence of you. And so, Father, will you teach us these things? Will you help us, like Paul, to mature more and more as we go through life? To say that that peace, contentment, hope, freedom from worry and fear is not from the absence of something, but, Father, through the gift of your Son through the power of his resurrection so that we can sing a song like it is well and we can even through broken hearts and fractured lives can say hey my soul it is well am I sad? yes am I concerned about this? am am I overwhelmed at times? yes but I have peace in my soul Because God is in control. He is sovereign. He is good. And Christ is risen from the dead. Father, let that be our proclamation. Let that be our hope. Let that be our contentment this morning. 
as we just proclaim biblical truth. We love you and we thank you as we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.